0: Hello, hello again, and welcome to another episode of.
1: Uh, it's uh, beneath the screen of the ultra critic. So I realized something
2: that you've given up on interesting. <laughs> I have never.
1: Se- no, uh, <laughs> I have never seen any of the legendary pictures Godzilla or kaiju, the slash kaiju movies generally, the monsterverse stuff. I haven't seen any of them. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize that until I until I was reading up on some other stuff like Godzilla-related. Hey, we're talking about Godzilla today, everyone. And, <laughs> yes, uh, and I are. realized that the only American Godzilla movie I've seen is the 1998
0: one <laughs> The Matthew Broderick one yeah. <laughs> The stink burger Of a movie, a movie so bad That like even though they were Trying to roast Sisko and Abbot by having Two characters, yeah. Beast Like really like pedantic ineffectual characters who were not named sister neighbor, but might as well have been yeah. they were like we've been made fun of by better movies than you <laughs> uh
1: yeah but no i just i i don't know why i haven't i just kind of didn't start and then as each successive one came out i didn't see the uh the previous ones anyway uh, I, we're your host. We that's, should... that's Jeremiah over there. Hi! Uh, I'm Thad, still, and uh, Kara has just been humoring this I entire time. I prefer to time. think
2: of myself as more of a symbiotic entity than a host.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> nice, nice suckle back to the Deep Space Nine discussion we were having off mic. Or
1: it could always be Venom. Eddie. What yes!
0: Are we, what are we talking about Eddie
1: today? Eddie, the,
0: what I love about the Venom movies is, no matter which one you watch, they understand to some degree what movie they are.
1: Yeah, agree. Don't. Uh, <laughs> although I, I think actually you and Kara and I disagree on the 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 the, the quality arc because Kara and I think the first mm-hmm. one is the better one.
0: Oh, absolutely, the first one is the oh, better okay. one. Okay, I just also enjoy the second. That's one That's
1: fair. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Godzilla.
0: Godzilla. So we're wa- talking about the, the first part. Godzilla movie.
2: Where the second one is <laughs> also not the better one. Except the second one is actually just the first <laughs> one with more footage. And well, th- less. Right. Look,
1: if we're getting into numbering, if we're getting into numbering, it's the uh, Godzilla, comma, King of the Monsters! Exclamation point is not the second Godzilla movie because there was a second one in Japan before the American Recut came out. But anyway. Godzilla, is it Rides Again or Raids Again? I raids keep Again. Forgetting. Raids Again, you're right. Okay,
0: Raids Again. No. Um and even then that is not Godzilla. Anyway, this is all very confusing which by purposes of just basic culture this is the, one of the reasons is in 1954 Ishiro Honda makes a movie it, called it's Godzilla in Japan. G- it goes on to be not called, not
2: called Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla.
0: It's, right. It's a good year. The Americans the English translation
1: yeah, the Ameri- look, the Americans weekend. won it no! yet again. Wow! And so,
2: <laughs> and so uh, everyone we so, we're we're eating won. it right now, so... Uh, right, so
0: 1954, that goes on to just break the Japanese box office. Mm-hmm. American producers, one of us being Joseph Irving. I believe it's Joseph Irving, I could be wrong, let me double check. But uh, he sees a, pr- a brilliant uh, a- opportunity to take this and show it in America, um, the problem is, there's no way this movie's gonna play in America's subtitle, because subtitle movies do not play in America.
1: Barely watch them now.
0: We do now, yeah, barely now, <laughs> I mean, uh, as we, uh, had talked about, uh, off mic, um, the biggest subtitled movie in America at the time was Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, Woo. and that barely broke $250,000. And that was massive for
2: sure, the
1: time
0: It's also yeah. like 1950s the, money. Yeah. Right. Well, Knight is why when they bring Godzilla, now Godzilla King of the Monsters, as opposed to what they originally wanted was Godzilla the Sea Beast, <laughs> which just has absolutely no ring oh, to it. Oh,
1: boo. That is a, that, right. that is a, a timeline I'm glad we avoided.
0: Yeah, that's the best timeline. <laughs> but also, Godzilla King of the Monsters implies there are other monsters. Yeah. Which... At the time, there weren't, but there
1: will be. Well, also, because, like, the the American retitling of a lot of these is uh, often extremely silly. Because, like, Godzilla Raids Again, the second uh, Japanese Godzilla movie, was released in America titled Gigantis the Fire Monster. You know, to be
2: fair, you haven't actually reached (laughs) the end of your explanation, Jeremiah.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: (laughs) Right, and so, sorry, the producer was Joseph Levine. Along with Terry Turner and some others... They're like, the only way we can sell this in America is if we get a film doctor. Or a film fixer, as it's sometimes called. Hmm. So they call in Terry Morse. And basically what they do is they screen the the 1954 Godzilla for a translator. And he basically copies down all the dialogue in like maybe one showing or two. They hire Raymond Burr, at that time just beginning to be Perry Mason or not yet Perry Mason. Hmm. But either way, a, a a somewhat staple of B-movies, as well as like people like Hitchcock and others. Mm. And he basically... They ship the POV from a Japanese doctor to an American reporter named, of all things, Steve Martin.
1: That's <laughs> oh, so good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and not only do they shove Steve Martin into the store... And have it be his eyes that the movie is seen through. They also shave off about 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But also, taking the thing that, I guess, translates the best overseas, they take the love triangle in the first one and just focus more on it and make it more clear. Which, according to Kara, it's actually pretty clear in Japan if you're aware of the culture and the type of story they're telling.
1: Yeah, but we'll get into that shortly.
0: Right. Right. But uh, Kara, do you want to talk about the 1954 Godzilla, directed yeah. by Ishiro so Honda? the
2: 1954 Godzilla, um, it's actually really interesting because it doesn't really focus on our lead for a while, it kind of slowly builds to who our lead is, but a big over is that there is an, um, it begins at sea where we see a Japanese ship is attacked by a mysterious thing. Um, we go through the Japanese government trying to de- the Japanese government trying to determine what is happening. The Japanese ship companies trying to determine what is happening, and then the reactions of the Japanese people as they worry about their friends and relatives who are on the ship. Um, eventually, we begin to focus on a nearby island where the local people are looking for sh- uh, shipwreck survivors, who are also family, and then they also um, announce that an old man on the island announces that there is a myth of a creature, Gojira, Gojira that used to to attack the island and eat people, and they would sacrifice a young girl to it. As more and more things begin to happen, and more and more people are drawn in, with several really cool scenes of large rooms of Japanese people discussing what they should do about whatever the thing is, they finally, as a group, determine there appears to be some kind of monster, especially after the monster attacks the village and eats someone, leaving ginormous footprints. (laughs) A uh, renowned doctor...
1: Paleontologist, uh, paleontologist thank you
2: um, after looking at the footprints and a few other things determines two things one this is an ancient ancient animal two it is huge three it comes from deep beneath the sea four it has been disturbed by hydrogen bombs and five and most important it is radioactive as hell and as we <laughs> go back to the island we finally see across the, mount- the mountain of the island the rearing head of Godzilla. gojira the plot continues to take off at a breakneck pace with a really interesting piece where um, some local uh, elected officials um, state that they do not want to tell anyone that there is a there is a people-eating radioactive monster in the seas of Japan in which they are shouted down by um, two other Japanese women who insist that this sort of terrible thing cannot be kept secret and must be known to the world, which it is. Uh, as time moves on, it begins to narrow and focus on the paleontologist. Um, it's Yamane, right? Yamane, yeah, sorry. Yamane, yeah, um, Yemane, his beautiful daughter Emiko, um, her sort of fiancé boyfriend, Ogatu, and her previous possibly sort of fiancé, Sarazawa, who it appears that Sarazawa and Emiko had an agreement that they were going to get married, but it seems like they weren't ever dating. It feels very much more like a pseudo-arranged marriage, boy-next-door kind of thing, where it was just...
1: However, Serizawa does have an extremely Sarazawa cool iPad.
2: Extremely cool iPad. Does
1: <laughs> light out of a Doctor Who episode. It's fantastic. Yeah.
2: Sorry, sorry. So um, a couple of it. threads begin to pull together. One is that Emiko does not know how to tell that Serizawa that she is definitely not marrying him because she views him as an older brother. Um, Doctor uh, Yamane. I'm going to say it wrong every single time. Uh,
1: Look, I don't know if I I don't remember if I'm using the right emphasis, but as long as it's something like Yamané or Yamane, the paleontologist
2: um, wants to preserve the giant creature, believing its uh, historical significance as well as its invulnerability to reactivity will be valuable for the human for humankind. The creature begins to move towards larger and larger land masses including Tokyo, and Doctor Sarazawa shows his childhood love, Emiko, a terrible thing, which we do not see it is off screen. Eventually, um, as everything pulls together, there is an amazing sequence of Godzilla smashing Tokyo, which is incredibly emotionally moving. It is not like a sort of zone-out monster smash. It is incredibly mm-hmm. affecting with mm-hmm. um, fleeing people, and rather than looking like sort of random chaos, it's very clearly evocative of the night bombings that were experienced by Tokyo and other places in World War II, including like scenes of children crying, like a of- woman holding her children stating that they were all going to go see daddy now Uh, we see Godzilla spraying a radioactive fire that's highly destructive and then goes back into the ocean Um, Emiko um, helping the survivors finds a young girl has been so severely dosed with radioactivity she's almost certainly going to die and in an emotional moment she tells her boyfriend Ogata that Dr. Serzawa has a terrible weapon that might be able to help them They go and visit Sarazawa, who explains that he has... What is it called?
1: The Oxygen... The Oxygen oxygen destroyer. Destroyer.
2: A device that he was working on while working on the properties of oxygen. If you dump it in the water, will kill every... Suck the oxygen out of the water and kill everything in it and completely dissolve it. Um... Yes. Melt them. I mean, uh, Ogata uh, pressures Sarazawa to give them the weapon in order to destroy Godzilla, as nothing seems to be able to stop the monster. Sarazawa refuses, stating that once this kind of technology gets out, it cannot be put back and it will certainly be used as a weapon to destroy mankind. They argue, they fight. They eventually um, hear about the massive casualties and the grief Tokyo is experiencing. And Sarazawa, in a moment, states that he will give them the weapon, but it must never be used for any other purpose. And burns his notes as he does so. They then um, Ogata and Sarazawa go out to sea um, on a big ship. They go into the ocean to dive to set off the bomb. Ogata goes back up, Sarazawa cuts his own line informs Ogata that he hopes him and Emiko are happy together and commits suicide ensuring that Godzilla is truly destroyed. The people on the ship watch as the one-time use technology-lost weapon destroys Godzilla and the mournful Dr. Yamane notes that there are certainly other Godzillas in the ocean and what will they do next time when one emerges.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I will point out one of the things I did find interesting is the death of Godzilla is very much treated as a
2: tragedy I would argue that like the the context of the movie Godzilla is treated not as a malevolent force but an act of nature like a tornado or a tsunami so when they're trying to bomb Godzilla it would be as coherent as I don't know dropping nuke (laughs) just pulling the side of (laughs) or. Nuking a hurricane, hurricane. perhaps. They right. essentially Yamane. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, one of the ways that this is anchored is is because Professor Yamane is one of the characters that we get close to the earliest. Like before we we get close to to Emiko and uh, and like her her various love interests, um, is is we get close to the professor first, who who is very like. He he's not like ah yay good we must protect Godzilla, like he understands the weight of it but he is someone who also understands what will be lost if if slash when this creature I, is destroyed and so it's, well like one it's a of nice the balance.
0: things he even says is Godzilla's resistant to radiation yeah. and being Japanese after World War II is like I think that would be helpful to understand more. Well, about.
1: Yeah. Especially since, like, we see, like Kara said before, like, there's a very effective shot where it's not said what's happening, but you see a doctor, like, in the aftermath of the Godzilla attack, observing a child, and one of the things they're doing is is using a Geiger counter on that child, and the doctor just shakes his head, and you know what all that means? It's awful.
0: Well, yeah, because (laughs) for Honda, he's basically saying death follows Godzilla. Yeah. Even if you survive Godzilla, you will still die from Godzilla. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is part of the skeletal, I don't know, radi- excuse the uh, the phase radiation, background radiation of the movie is <laughs> the Marshall Island test. Mm was the US was testing uh, atomic bombs and not telling the Japanese citizens what they were doing they just told people don't come out here. I think it's
2: also important that like the um, the only mention of like so like radiation and the not like this is 1954 when this comes out and it's pretty clear if we're going to be talking about Japan nuclear radiation like everyone is going to have the bombs dropped that thinking of like the bombs dropping in world war ii and so um but they never talk about america and they never explicitly talk about the bombs dropping the only thing we do is we see just some random japanese people sort of discussing what's going on one of them saying are you godzilla's heading this way you're gonna leave tokyo and then he's like i already had to flee nagasaki like i don't want to do this shit again and um the sort of like very casual way they're talking about this is a little too on the nose for like the covid world (laughs) like the covid (laughs) constant fire that we live in (laughs) but like specifically nobody says um united states or america and in the american recut it is the exact same plot except the emotional weight of godzilla should be researched and not destroyed and god something will re-emerge from this the sort of like and this is sort of us working through this tragedy the cycle that's yeah. taken out when godzilla is die when godzilla dies there's no comment that there will be another one and um there are even less specific references to the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki and to keep in mind so this is 1954 So when these Americans recut this movie for the American audience, very likely both the recutters and the American audience did not know the full effects of the bombs dropping in Japan. That information was actually kept from the American public how devastating it was for a long time long time like people did not have pictures they did not have videos they didn't have images they didn't have stories it was just sort of treated like oh yeah it was a really big bomb and so some of the reality of the things of this are were not as well known which is one reason why i think the recut is less haunting because it's inadvertently cutting out a lot of things that are evocative of that that the people watching at the time didn't know what it was referencing or referencing anything at all but i do because I've been to Hiroshima, it's sad. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry for the
0: um, ramble. Also, like you guys, no, no, that's no, fine. You guys mentioned um, the Godzilla destruction mm-hmm. scenes, mm. and the way they're lit and shot is almost like it's not sensationalist. Almost more like a noir. Like there is a sort of melancholy, yeah. Yeah. haunting. It, it's not playing
2: it. exciting music. It's, it's not yeah. Too so like, if it's if a, you see a right. city being destroyed well, in an Avengers movie, it's like blah, 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 blah. like it's playing cool music, but this is playing right. sad, heavy, dark. It's not a it's not thrilling. It's, it's horrible. It has some really, really cool effects. Like some of them, you're like, eh, that's an effect. But uh, there's a, there's and Jeremiah spelled this for me. Thanks. Uh, there's a great effect where <laughs> Godzilla uses its um radiation breath radiation to melt breath a bunch breath. of power lines uh, i
1: believe what you mean is is atomic yeah death atomic death
2: rush to melt a bunch of power yes. lines and it looks amazing totally blew my mind how they did it and then of course jeremiah was like well they're made of wax
0: because jeremiah <laughs> hates wonder that's not spoiling that's explaining
1: <laughs> also you you mentioned the score so good. Uh, earlier and um well, uh, yeah, Akira Ifukube. Yeah, Ifukube, and the yeah. the thing about uh, Ifukube is not only is uh, is he responsible for the score, but he also is the one who created the original Godzilla roar. That was not something that was created by the effects people. That was made by the guy who, who did the score.
2: I do want nice. to Godzilla roar. Um, like like sometimes when you go back to like these original things, like it's it's a little tinny. Like the if you go back to the original Tarzan yulilating recordings like the Tarzan yell. it's not that impressive. This the Godzilla <laughs> roar every time you hear it you're like that is unreal. like it's super good.
1: Well, there's, there's some interesting supercuts you can find on YouTube of the Godzilla roar through the ages and I, I actually like the the original one is a little bit lost very quickly behind like adding some like higher pitched uh, sounds to it. It, mm-hmm. And like the the original one, it still has that that sort of shrieking quality to it. But I don't know. There's there's a re, there's a there's a focus on like the deeper sounds in the the original that I I feel like gets lost for a little while. Uh, but that's not important. Just I'm a dork.
0: <laughs> no no no. That's that's no. That is because we do talk about like the evolution you mentioned before like. Watching the original Godzilla is a bit weird compared to how Godzilla movies yeah, became. Because
1: Godzilla, a Godzilla movie is a cultural idea. If you have not seen one, you have ideas about them.
2: And to, right. it's, it's that funny thing where like if you see something that's the beginning of a series, it's not what your imagination is of it. So it's kind of like the first time I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. I was shocked because it was not like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of flirty, scary movie. It was just scary. And the same thing with Godzilla, (laughs) isn't like, oh, let's watch the city get smashed. It's like, oh, this is actually really sad and scary.
0: Well, also because nine times out of ten, what that is, is the people who made the first one were not expecting Mm -hmm. a long-running franchise. Yeah,
1: Halloween's another good comparison.
0: Right. You're only doing this one movie. And so once something becomes a continuation, it begin like it all like it yeah, becomes like a game of exactly Tetris.
1: Yeah. And what what tends yeah what tends to continue tend to be symbols and and like aesthetic things as opposed to and this is something that I do want to get into later uh, that drives me a little bit nuts about Godzilla movies it, it, because I, I want to talk about the oxygen destroyer later, but uh, we can get back to that. <laughs> um, but also just like yeah because. There's so many odd things. Because I, I I said before that I haven't watched any of the Legendary Pictures movies. But I'm, I'm familiar with their imagery and the different creature designs and things. Because I exist in the world and there are ad campaigns. Right. And, like, if you look at original Godzilla versus the big, beefy, like, uh, modern-day, serious-looking Legendary Pictures Godzilla. Which is not a bad design. I don't mean to sound like I'm being a dick about that. But th- it's... Its focus is on being like beefy and intimidating in a very modern sense, and it loses some things that are unique about the original Godzilla, like for example, his kind of weird <laughs> googly eyes. Yeah, and the reason I bring this up is because Shin Godzilla has him still has those weird googly weird eyes, googly eyes, but it's still terrifying. <laughs>
0: I hadn't put that together before,
1: no. yeah yeah, yeah, because it's it's one of those things where it's like the 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 thing about Americanization is is uh, there there are things that Americans think are impressive and important, and those will almost always take a front seat to the things that make a property unique or make a design unique. right and, and again, I haven't seen those movies, and I know a lot of them are quite good, so i'm not I'm not exactly trying to say they're bad, but I will say that the design of legendary Godzilla is very American.
2: I... I also sorry, want to Oh man, we were talking never mind. I lost it. I had it and I lost it. It's gone. Jeremiah, it's in the ether. I have no choice but to sit <laughs> in my own shame.
1: But uh okay. okay. Well let's let's talk well, then then oh, let's I go back and talk a little bit about uh... oh. So uh go. Okay.
2: This is I'm insane. So uh the Adderall hit <laughs> the Adderall wears off we now know. this time. So the uh <laughs> the other movie right so the the remake that they recut and in the united states yeah the 1956 godzilla schedule, the, one the one that of the went off and board. became like not just japan famous but world famous and was the one that really kicked off the idea of an international monster series and the godzilla monster is the exact same hmm. movie with slightly less pathos filtered through the eyes of a white reporter who is very clearly on the sound stage while everybody else is very clearly in actual rooms with depth and light or outside. Who somehow manages to involve himself in being the center of everything and creates this very (laughs) weird sense of distance from the story where it's like, oh, look at this happening to them as opposed to, oh my god, this is happening to us. And uh, completely Mm -hmm. I can't think of why, but completely takes out the part at the end where, um, you know, we worry about uh, the release of terrible, terrible information into a world very likely to use it for destructive purposes. I can't think of why deep in the Cold War, <laughs> United States won't tell anyone what really happened at Hiroshima would kind of, like, pass that, but they did.
1: Yeah, it's...
0: Well, it's also again one of the cultural things of in the 1954 version, it's this can't be in anyone's hands. In 1956 American version, as long as as long as the weapon mm-hmm. is in our hands.
1: Yeah, honestly, it had been a while since I had seen Godzilla King, comma King of the Monsters exclamation point, and I was so terrified that they weren't going to have Sarazawa commit suicide. Yeah. At the
2: end. Right.
1: Like, I I was, li- cause because like, again, I, I go into this movie, having not seen it for a very long time, like a little bit gripped by my fears of how the, the, the Americanization is going to work. And it was, it was better than I, than I had remembered, but uh, yeah. there are still a lot of, like, I think Kara really encapsulated the core of it is there's a distance to it that yeah. really like in the original 1954 Godzilla, you are in. From the beginning, you are following this disaster from when no one knows what's happening to when everyone does. And like, well, so I, here's
0: the thing: normally, I would be like fucking studios, <laughs> but honestly, knowing Americans yeah. and the concept of there's no way they're going to beat this fucking much. Yeah, I, I don't. And if I, we I'm have this, blaming
1: the people who who got this to work for American audiences, <laughs> that is an achievement. <laughs> At the time, and
0: they're like, "Well, we want to dub it, but we don't want to dub it so much." Yeah,
1: I I had forgotten how much Japanese is in the Americanized version. They just they let. And it the be fact spoken. that they
0: even give Raymond Burr crap and I speak in good Japanese. I
2: do, I do want to say <laughs> right? is one of the things that they did though was um, this is a truly an adaptation, and the adaptation changes on like form and audience. They truly adapted it, and mm. so the right. genre shifts very, very slightly from this sort of more. Because uh, mon- it's, cause it's not, not Monster movie as metaphor But monster movie as like Possible extension of reality Like kind of almost like A dystopic view of like Where high, of how nuclear energy could go bad To more of an mm. action mm-hmm. Monster movie Where nuclear power is more of a um, MacGuffin Than an actual like talking point And it's just a different genre I think the first one is a better overall yeah. film but to the point, the second one is what resonated with world audiences because it was a different kind of movie that was more accessible to a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah,
1: and I mean it, it yeah, definitely. And it's it's I think part of it is they they adapted it not just to American audiences but to the American monster yes, genre.
2: Definitely. They definitely did.
1: Like cuz like by cuz like 1955 you have movies like Tarantula uh, with an exclamation point after it. Uh, well, and, and even
0: like in 1953, the Ray ha- There's a Ray Harryhausen special effects movie oh. called The Beast from 50,000 Feet. Yeah, 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 I know that one. And basically, Harryhausen hated Godzilla because he basically accused it of ripping off his movie. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And like the two share very similar like notions. Hmm. Because they're both about monsters who are awakened from the deep by radiation, by, like, I mean, atomic testing. But, like, that's you know, where the connection is. if he ends. saw
1: only the American version, I could see how that might be a, a, a position he could walk away with, you know? Right. Uh, Sorry,
0: Beast from 20,000 fath- Fathoms.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depths, whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, like, it's fine. <laughs> like, it's an okay movie. It's, it starts out better, but then, like, because the Beast is essentially a giant iguana hmm. trampoline, <laughs> like, stock footage... <laughs> And like it's cool, but at the same time, like yeah, come on, buddy. Not nearly as cool as either Terry Morris's American remake <laughs> or, or Honda's. <laughs> yeah, like both of them utilizing. Um, yeah, oh god, what's? Oh, sorry. No, um, the guy's name who I can never remember. C- keep talking. I about. mean, there's
1: lots of people who there's lots of names you can't remember yeah. that doesn't narrow it down. Uh, well, right. I was going to say, though, because, like, the the giant, the American giant monster movie was already in full swing, like, by the time Godzilla came out in Japan. Because, like, them, exclamation point, uh, the giant ant movie was uh, 1954 as well, so it came out around the same right. time. Um, so it's, I, I definitely see, I, I definitely see the American Godzilla as be, having been shifted through adaptation into... Uh, that more that more American flavor uh, framing.
0: Well, yeah, because, again, the, the American Godzilla comes out in 1956. Yeah. There's a full two years because the 1954 Godzilla, weirdly enough, is not widely available until, like, the early 2000s. Yeah, quite
2: a ways. <laughs> I just, I mean, and I also just, just just to clarify, like, I think that the Japanese version is a better film. In a lot of ways, and also because when they recut it, they lose some of the pacing, which loses some of the tension. You know, just little things like that. Oh. Uh, and
1: there is there is some masterful tension in original, in
2: terms like, of the truly. way they treat well, it. So yeah. in terms of the way the actors treat it and the way they try to sew scenes together and make things coherent and dub and like do clever things, they are taking it fairly seriously. This this movie isn't being treated yeah. like it's a a bad joke. They're like, okay, we are going to try and make something that is a coherent narrative that is a monster movie. And they do it, and they all take it pretty seriously, and I think that that's respectable. I mean, if you're going to Power Rangers, Power Rangers sincerely.
0: (laughs) Well, and also uh, Raymond Burr, who would brag about his time on Godzilla. (laughs) That's great. And also, like, the notion of getting a white American actor to shove into a kaiju movie (laughs) kind of took off after that. Yeah. Joseph Cotton was in a few, and but the difference between Raymond Burr and the other times they would take an established character actor to put in the movie, mm. a Hollywood established character, is they often looked like this was a step down, whereas Raymond Burr was like a cheerleader of Godzilla, he was a massive fan, mm. like when they asked him to come back for Godzilla 1985, the agents were like, we don't think he's going to do it, and he was like, hell yeah, <laughs> dude,
1: <laughs> I fucking love this guy! Best possible <laughs> response.
0: Well, and also, like, um, he really loved Godzilla the monster, and also, I did not know this until I did some research, but Raymond Burr was also g- uh, closeted mm. gay, and he, in a, in a very not unusual way found himself relating to the Godzilla hmm. as a lot of early game uh, men and just queer community in general would embrace horror community. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot and of... And the monster movies. I,
1: I, heck, I still see a lot of that in, in like, Twitter spheres uh, talking about horror today, is, like, looking at the, the sort of uh, queerness of, of the monstrous and uh, and things like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, and also, um, the, well, as we discussed, like, the monster dying at the end is sad. Yeah. And that's the thing where you, like, the early Universal monsters also were, like, the same way mm-hmm. of, like, oh, the monster's dead. This is sad. I like him. To <laughs> die to
2: be truly dead. Sorry, I- I'm obsessed with okay, 1931's can- Dracula.
0: So, have you seen the me- the Wait. Mexican Virgin? No. That was shot on the exact same no. soundstage at night? What? You gotta see it. Uh, it's actually kinda better. Looking at it. Does it have Bella
2: Lugosi? Yeah, no, it's it is not better. No,
0: it's a different one. It's <laughs> it's the it's the one thing the movie doesn't ha that doesn't have over the original. Uh, because the uh actress who plays the movie is fascinating.
1: Ooh. Alright, I'll make a note of that.
0: Uh but yeah, no, the night the like there's a Dracula at night there was a Mexican crew that filmed the Mexican version of Dracula. Um
1: I used to have a VHS. I had both copies. Oh, I gotta find that. That's see, I love that kind of stuff. Like, here's... <laughs> like I I, 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 have a weird position. I think on on remakes, which this isn't exactly since they made them at the same time. Because, right. like, on the one hand, movie remakes are often uh, the the last refuge of people with nothing to say of their own. But right. uh, but also, if you look at like the tradition of the theater, Theta. like it's all about continuing to make new versions of of previous, like, stories. Like, just like, And it's something that I think we we sort of lose in film. It's not unheard of. Like, there are... There are movies that have been remade multiple times in ways that are are sort of interesting or different or at least get new casts to have some fun. But, I don't know, the modern idea of, like, the capital R remake has kind of killed my enthusiasm for for that to be possible in movies, I think. Well, and also,
0: um, the remake, um, Terry Morris, he's a director, but he's also known as what's called a film fixer or a film doctor. Mm -hmm. And kind of like a script doctor, he's one of those guys who gets called in to do odd jobs, such as, hey, we need you to cut this uh, Japanese monster movie into something that's acceptable for America.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for example.
0: Right, and um, I'm currently reading a book by Austin Trennicke. Called The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, 1980 to 1980-1984. And it's basically documenting every Canon film between 1980 and
1: 1984. Tell me when you get to Masters of the
0: Universe. Uh, that's in the next volume. Ooh, volume. Uh, but he's talking to the director for Exterminator 2. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, a man by the name of Walter Sachs, I believe. Hmm. No, sorry, William Sachs. And William Sachs is a film doctor. And apparently, he's like, yeah, no, um, they called me in. I, uh, finished it. I had to move to Los Angeles. Mm. But, like, this is, like, 1980 something. And I mentioned this purely because film doxes still exist. Yeah. This notion of having someone come in to rescue a film. <laughs> Make this work. Uh, right. It's not unheard of. Because sometimes you will hire someone who gets in over their head and, like, well, I need to recoup the money. You're fired. You're hired. <laughs> And they're talking to Sack, And it's like, I actually kind of prefer doing the film doctoring to my actual original work. Because I'm weirdly given more freedom on the film doctoring. Oh, that's interesting. Because they've already sunk so much money into it. I'm allowed to do whatever the hell I need to do to get this done. I mean, yeah,
2: it's kind of a Hail Mary, though. It's like, well, it's like when you're doing your makeup and you sneeze in the middle of it. And you're like, I guess we're just going. I guess we're just, whatever happens, happens. Right.
0: And also... He's even like, look, I, I, won't, I will admit, I love solving a puzzle and trying to figure out how to do this.
2: Yeah.
1: And it, it, it makes me think a little bit about like, um, oh, what is it called? I think like constrained yeah. writing, where yeah. you, you, you're writing, but it has to follow a particular pattern or has to use particular pieces or what. Or even just like that thing that Burroughs always talked about where he'd like write stuff and then cut it up and, and make something else out of what he wrote. And well, like, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Lars
0: Van Tiers made a movie called The Five Obstructions hmm. in which he took um, one of his favorite directors and his mentors and he's like, here, film this scene that I wrote for you and then he would do it and then he would then give him an obstacle to overcome like, do it again, but now he has to be this ooh and so, basically, taking what makes you comfortable and making you uncomfortable. Oh, I'm a
1: sucker for that. That's that. Ruins. Right. <laughs>
0: and the the guy asked William Sachs, like, "What's the worst like thing you've ever had to say?" If like I once turned down the job, <laughs> I was once off of this job four times. <laughs> I turned it down three times, and the fourth time I said, "Well, what if I made it a comedy?" So that's how I ended up doing Leprechaun. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> twist ending.
0: Uh, But anyhow, back to Godzilla. Oh, Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Getting back to something uh, Thad said Mm. about the thing that makes uh, older kaiju movies uh, unique to the predecessors, or or the ones that came after, Mothra, also directed by Honda, Mm. uh, released and made in 1961, is also very... They like it has a message in terms of like nature versus science, or at mm-hmm. the very least, like the thing used to calm Godzilla down.
1: Yeah, like nature versus uh, uh, it's yeah, nature versus society, or something like that, or a, a more natural way of living versus a more, or I don't know. So it's yeah, that, there's a lot of ways you can sort of dig through that. It's got a lot in common with King, the original King Kong in that way.
0: Right, It also has a massive anti-capitalist message. Yeah, it, it does.
2: <laughs> but I also just want to point out it is a little bit. Weird in its treatment of like indigenous Polynesian people,
0: <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right? That's <laughs> that's something we'll get into possibly in another time. Uh, yeah, but yeah, if that's we, like, also Japan's do, issue. <laughs> yeah, if we do
1: more Mothra movies, uh, it's, uh, we'll probably have to talk a little bit bit more about uh, Japan's uh, issues with people that are not uh, Yamato. What well, we could do <laughs> is
2: compare uh, Mothra with Moana. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. Um, I have to think about that. That's not, 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 not a horrible idea.
1: <laughs> Great way of phrasing not that.
2: Not horrible ideas are horrible. <laughs> Thank
1: you, <Jeremy>. uh, no. <laughs> I
0: never
2: said
1: they were. No, she just hears that because of the brain okay, voices. It's fine. That's fair.
0: Um, so, Eiji's Tsuburaya uh, is a guy that does the special effects for the uh, yeah.
1: Godzilla, uh, who is, who is and, uh, colloquially thought of as the father of Tokusatsu, which is the, the general term for. These sort of special effects, sci- like, sci-fi stuff, like Godzilla and Ultraman and Kamen Rider and, and Super Sentai, which we right. know as Power Rangers, but uh, it also just means special effects generally. <laughs>
0: well, and also, like, um, by and large, Tsuburaya, and from what I understand, that kind of makes sense considering, like, Japanese theater, hmm. of s- special effects aren't meant to be 100% realistic. Hmm. They're meant to be just a little bit off or even fantastical simply because it's a movie they're
1: they're representative not mimetic right which is the
0: opposite of what american culture
1: yeah like if you which which I, i i don't i haven't read that myself but it does make a kind of sense if you look at like certain japanese theater traditions and performance traditions that are very much about um what the the performers can evoke with uh within certain limitations and things as opposed to yeah as opposed to building something that looks exactly like reality
0: and this may be a thing that's like uh, culturally that which has changed because I got it from an interview between two of the stars from one of the later Godzilla movies. Mm. And they were going back and watching the older Godzilla movies and one of them was laughing at the fake special effects. And he, the other and the co-star's like you don't understand. The painstaking work it took to make that just slightly unrealistic.
1: <laughs> and honestly, like I have no shade on. Like, the, if I wanted to be snarky about special effects in the original Godzilla, I would be hard pressed to be, with the one exception of the the jets firing missiles. Like, you can't. You, there's, <laughs> there's no playing around. You can see the lines uh, that the, the the jets and the missiles are on, and it's fine. It's fine. Right. Uh, that's I don't care, I mean, I it think still
2: rules. That what it at least like so given the movie comes out in nineteen fifty four, and I actually do have a very I don't watch monsters like like big monster movies, kaiju movies, but I do <laughs> love monster movies, like universal monsters. Uh, I actually really love I was a Teenage Werewolf. Now I'll fight people over how good that movie is. People don't even know. Right. I love that movie. Uh but what it has is like it doesn't look Real in the sense of like, wow, this looks like a giant lizard stomping around Tokyo, but it does look like it has weight. So it doesn't have that weird, like sometimes things Mm. you get with computer animation, where it feels like that there is a cartoon paper thing wandering around a fake green screen.
0: (laughs) It's basically what happens to the later moil. But it feels.
2: Yeah, it has come like yeah. it doesn't feel like yeah. it's set in a world. So it doesn't feel like it's set in our world, but it feels like it's set in a real physical world where things are physically happening, and um, it, right. it runs on something. It's not quite like Dream Logic, but it's similar to it.
0: Well, it's also that thing like about movies of like there yeah. is a suspension of disbelief that is required, yeah. but also mm-hmm. you have to set a tone. And so they set a tone to which it may not look fantastic, but it also doesn't look a hundred percent real. Yeah, I mean, especially it's this weird gray. Area.
1: Especially early on, when like when we're in the the sort of first, I don't know, even possibly half where we don't see Godzilla directly, uh, right. when we're going through like the wreckage in the the town on on I think it's Odo Island, Odo Island. I forget off the top of my head. But the the island that that uh, Godzilla first attacks, and like we're we're outside, we're seeing this very lived in space that is also full of like wreckage and destruction, and it's very like naturalistically. Like there's it it puts you in this the place in, in a way that sort of like what what Kara was talking about earlier in the way that the Americanized version feels much more distant in the way it, like especially in the shots that it inserts. Like the original one just has a very naturalistic. It's, it feel
2: really, to it. I I, th- I think I think right. they actually like filmed in a real outside with real plants and real dirt and real huts
1: like a real town that they just made yeah, up with Yeah and wreckage. so like
2: I I don't if, if they did a sound stage they did a shockingly amazing one and it feels <laughs> like you are in a big open space it, fe- it feels like Jurassic Park
1: I mean it's I mean it's definitely especially like the exterior town shots like that is Outside, we just don't know if it's a back lot or if it's like a, a town. Oh, well, also, consider. there's a lot
0: of matte shots. Yeah, which is that thing you see, which you see a glass mm-hmm. and they paint a background oh, on. Yeah, no good mattes in this. Yeah, which, which I always love because it's such a simple thing and it can blow I your actually, mind. Every like
2: day. I just said something that this is going to sound incredibly banal, but like in terms of like the when I talk about how it feels like it has weight and the sound design, I'm like, oh. Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park was pulling from (laughs) Godzilla. I see that now.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Um, Yeah. No, the amount of actual like craftsmanship and filmmaking in the first Godzilla, and like on little things like the the design of the Mm walkie-talkie to make them visually distinctive. Yeah. So you can tell when the on and when the off. It's it's, it's honestly,
1: it's it's like the thing about Godzilla is that the the least important things carried forward from Godzilla is Godzilla. Like, right. like the the things about like the the way this movie comes together and like makes the the threat and the scale feel real. Uh, just the ways that that sort of all senses are well. I mean, all of the movie senses at least are like the score, the, the diegetic sound effects, the way that like light and shadow are used, especially during the night attack and all of that stuff. Like it it synthesizes together in a way that that I mean, I also just not to be a snob, but really makes me miss black and white movies in a certain way. Oh,
0: there's nothing snobby about missing black and white Uh, movies. They're
1: fucking gorgeous. But!
0: Um, Masao Tamai, Mm -hmm. the guy who shot Godzilla, Mm -hmm. him and Honda have a way of creating, like,
2: oxygen.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, the way they framed (laughs) Godzilla for murder, um, (laughs) The way they frame the movie, like, and, like, creating crowd scenes to yes. give a sense of claustrophobia. Hmm. But I also, like, the way they have either the crowd surrounding one character and, like, space around that crowd to give you a sense mm-hmm. of, like, crampness. Hmm. Or the way the, the, like, size of, like... There are scenes where characters, like, 20 at a time mm-hmm. try to come through a door.
1: Oh, yes. But and they
0: try to, and they slam it shut. And then they go into it, like... A pretty cluttered room, like, it gives you a sense of not so much a lived-in world, but also a cramped world. Yeah. Well, world but, like, is, also the scenes, like, there's a wide of, shot of a guy in the middle of the room surrounded by people. Oh, yeah. But there's nothing around them, if that makes any sense. Mm. So we get this sense of he's cramped, but there's a lot of space, but everyone's just crowded together. Yeah. But, I
2: mean, that also adds to the urgency, um, because oh. that scene is where they're trying to find out if their loved ones are dead. At the hands of whatever destroyed the ship. Right. And so like it has to, Yeah, it's like when very the people are heavy. trying to get through the door, it's not a joke. It's literally mainly women trying right. to find out if their husbands are dead and begging for information. Which again, like on the heels of
1: Yeah, it's 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 like women and older people. So it's, it's without drawing attention to it, it yeah, it communicates exactly that.
0: Um but also like the Terry Morris version, who he also did the editing because again, he's the director he's a film fixer. His job is to do more than just direct the Raymond Burr scenes. Hmm. He's re editing this movie. And um basically he cuts a lot of those shots out and essentially goes to medium yeah. shots. Yeah. And what that means is a lot of the claustrophobicness is there, but it's not as like how to put this. It's not as evident. It's it's like, not it's less of a choice, and it's more of a will waste. I'll give rid of the um, the distance.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: and by making it more intimate with the Raymond Burr character, it kind of gets rid. Uh, it kind of makes the movie feel more distant. Yeah, like the actual
1: way. frame is, I think, more claustrophobically framed. But because it's not a claustrophobia that is like intended to bring us into that feeling as viewers, it loses that emotional impact. The, the exactly, yeah. Um, also, now that we are, are getting closer to our endpoint, Is the time that I am afraid I must talk to you about the Oxygen Destroyer What do you okay. got? Okay I love I, I the Oxygen Destroyer It's on. one of the good <laughs> No, none, neither of you do And it involves a terrible secret of mine uh, Which is that I like Iron Man 2 As terrible Okay As a movie yeah, because what I want to talk about a little bit is is the w- one of the failures of future Godzilla movies. And and again, like I'm I'm a fan of of the the, the Japanese Godzilla movies, but I'm not an expert by any means. Right. But from my memory and from a little bit of checking, like the oxygen destroyer is something that will be visually referenced now and then in future movies, but it doesn't really come back except kind of once during the Millennium Godzilla series. But that's basically a disconnected series of anthology movies, and it's, it's not really important. Uh, the th- the thing that I this, w- by the way, is another
0: reason why I compare yeah. these to comic book movies. Yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. But but
1: it reminds me, like, so Sarazawa kills himself at the end, destroys his notes, kills himself to try and prevent this thing from from going out in the world. And like one of the tragedies of that implicitly is that you can't win that fight. Like, if something can be discovered, it will be discovered, eventually. Like, especially right. especially like around the same time. That's why things like the Telegraph or even, like, nuclear energy were, were being, like, researched by parallel people in different parts of the world at the same time, because the information is generally public. enough information is generally publicly available to push this forward. And it's, they tried to do a similar thing in Iron Man 2, which is something that I quite like, because Tony Stark is wrong. And I love when Tony Stark <laughs> is wrong, and I love when movies admit that he's wrong, because the the Marvel movies are very bad at that. They pretend right. that they pretend that they're good at it because, like, being an asshole is bad, but also like it's me cool. But like <laughs> the, the, the the technology arc in Iron Man Two is him showing off in front of Congress, saying like, "Oh, these other these other backwards dumb countries are de- a decade away from figuring out this Iron Man stuff." And then I like,
0: privatized world peace. Yeah.
1: and and then Vanko uh, shows up, played by one of my favorite weirdos. Um, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, Mickey Rock. I blanked on his name. I was like, the Angel Heart. Oh, he, Angel whatever. Heart. Uh, <laughs> but it uh, shows up and it's like... Hey, Angel I Angel Heart. Yeah. He shows up and, hey, I made this thing. Uh, and of course, like, the within Marvel dumb logic. It's, it's because his father worked and blah, 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 and it's family lines because nothing ever gets to be, rea- like, more realistically threatening. It's all whose family knows whose family. But whatever. Right. Uh, but but the, the failure of that is that it never comes up again like I like Iron Man 3 because I like Shane Black but it doesn't pull that threat any further we're onto a different threat that's uh, you know pushed forward by Tony being an asshole in the past and like the fact that people could just make more of this energy source and these Iron Man suits is never returned to because these movies uh, like are fundamentally uninterested in picking at their most interesting ideas and that in a lot of ways is and again love the genre love a kaiju movie Across the board, but but after the original Godzilla, these questions of like responsibility and consequence are less present in a way. Unless that it's,
0: just- it's a Honda movie like Martha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like not not not
1: present. But even right. like a lot of ones where it is present, I still think the original Godzilla does it in the the way that I was most affected by. But again, like I haven't seen every kaiju movie, so there may be better examples that I'm missing. But just from my experience of the UV, well I mean the, were, also the the, um, big,
2: right. the sort of like landing point of the first Godzilla movies is, is is they sort of make the argument like this technology truly cannot be discovered by anyone else. That that's where it sort of lands. And essentially they lost all of the potential that Godzilla for in like its in a, its like immunity to radioactivity represented.
1: Yeah, they lost everything. They lost Sarazawa's work. They lost what Godzilla But could they bring also forward. have to deal yeah, with yeah.
2: the fact that the things they still have is they are still testing nukes in the ocean where now they know for sure there are monsters. So they've lost their only way to fight a monster and learn things to make their life better and locked even deeper into the problems they already have. And just oh, yeah. the tragedy uh, just, of that yeah, gets I guess lost. The...
1: Yeah, and also, it's, I guess this is also just a long-winded way of saying that if I wanted to make a, a Godzilla sequel, I would want to also end up there being some sort of, like, oxygen destroyer, uh, mutually assured <laughs> destruction between, like, nations because uh, we live in a terrible world, and media should reflect that.
0: Right. Well, and also, like, yeah, no, I don't have anything to that. add. That's, that's that's awesome. Because, like, Honda does seem to be the reoccurring voice, at least in the beginning of, like, there should be a message. Here. Yeah, yeah. I like a giant monster movie, but my mon- giant monster movie should be about something. Even because he did a movie uh, later on called Matango, mm. which is a weird little movie that's not great, but I, I love it anyway. About <laughs> four rich people who get lost on an island and they get turned into giant walking mushrooms. Anyhow. Oh, oh
1: yeah. Well, I mean, that's this is a the this is the thing that about. I
0: read as a kid.
1: <laughs> Ooh. It's based
0: off a story, it so it might be that years. one. Uh,
1: like that that's one of the things that i'm, I'm not going to judge a director like uh like honda because he like if you look at how many movies he was pumping out in especially the 50s but like even into the 60s like man if they're not all your highest quality i don't care because uh i've seen you put out some good stuff
0: right and also um as you mentioned um the star of the 1954 Godzilla.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah, one Uh, one of the stars, yeah. uh, Professor Yamane is played by Takashi Shimura. Takashi
0: Shimura, yeah, he's a staple of Akira Kurosawa's acting too. Yeah, he is. And Honda and Kurosawa were good friends and had a friendly competition because they tended to each have the best, highest-grossing movie in Japan whenever they had a movie come out.
1: Which, that is exactly the kind of competition that I feel like culture needs more of. Did Uh,
2: George Lucas (laughs) take out an ad, like...
1: Oh, Lucas was a huge. No, not Kurosawa, but like Lucas took out an ad that.
2: to congratulate. I think E. T. for beating him, and then when like Episode One oh, okay. came out, uh, Spielberg took out an ad to congratulate. Like there was a thing where like the for the long time the directors yeah, yeah, the yeah, highest the yeah. like... movie would take out ads to congratulate each other.
1: Yeah, because they were nerd competition buddies. Bro, like, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good comparison. I like that.
0: James Cameron did one for Endgame. Mm.
1: Um, and also, but, like I, I feel like uh, bringing up James Cameron is always a good excuse to bring up how uh, how much better Catherine Bigelow was at making uh, sci-fi movies than he was. Oh, yeah. yeah, watch Strange Days. Watch Near Dark. Uh, like, fight me.
0: <laughs> ooh! Um, <laughs> I I will say, um, the opening of the original Godzilla, I'm still blown by because it feels modern. Yeah. And in a way, the remake, the American remake, Loses that because they do. They start off almost immediately with here's the destruction wrought yeah. by Godzilla. Uh. Was this the original? Starts off by here's the destruction wrought by man.
1: Yeah, like the, the it's it was because like that braced. I feel like uh, both me and Kara, like when we saw the the opening minutes of, of the the American one, we were sort of braced for it to be bad because the tension built from the opening like. Boat destruction, where you have no idea what's going on, to the, the escalation to the actual city being destroyed, is long and slow and inevitable, and you don't have to see that it's coming to know that there's like it's, yeah. And then instead, in the American one, we get like, hey, bad things happen, let's flash back.
0: Right, now the American one is very traditional in a yeah. suspense, whereas Honda does a very like.
1: You're living through it.
0: When you're not just living with it, but him and, uh, Tachi Itara, the editor for the uh, Japanese one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they they cut away, like, the first time we see the Oxygen Destroyer, mm-hmm. we cut away from what it does. Yeah, you don't see it. It's like, that's a flashback? Like, that's a present-day thing. Mm-hmm. Then we cut away. Then we see what happens, what the Oxygen Destroyer does, and a flashback later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Like, the way he builds suspense is interesting in fact that he almost, so, like, Cuts away... Like, almost does with, what you would call the... Meanwhile, back on the ranch structure. <laughs> yeah. Like, just at the thing of, like... Oh, we're gonna have this explain. Cut away to something else. And then later on, c- cut back to the explanation. Like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, that's... It's, uh... Yeah, the... the again, like, I... The, the thing that makes Godzilla King of the Monsters look bad Is watching it back to back with the original 1954 Godzilla Like uh, Right like, And uh, it,
0: in my mind it also doesn't make it look bad It just makes it look all like Yeah The yeah. differences are so much more starker the,
1: Like the Yeah the, I, cause And again, also again go, the weirdness
0: of This is the one that started everything
1: Yeah <laughs> and but but at the same time like you see why someone in America would be like oh we this is really good we need to do something with we need to get American audiences to see this but at the time there was no version of that conversation that was going to end with let's just show them this movie. Right. And that's that's pretty tragic but but they you know they made it work. They they did make it work like it it it, it went over like crazy and I am not uh, in any way looking down on that. It's just well, and the also like, is amazing.
0: <laughs> the remake uh, we talked about this briefly, but we sort of let off of Officer Tomo Frank uh, Iwanaga mm. is the to, basically the guide to mm. Raymond Burr, Steve Martin. Yeah, he's like his fixer and the fact in Japan. that like
1: yeah,
0: like they put a Japanese American in the movie in 1956. Actually, yeah, like he's no
2: just in a lot of America. so in a lot of the um, American film scenes. They're very explicit. Takes place in Japan, so a lot of the background characters and background people and things like that are, if not Japanese, at least Asian, like actual Asian people. This is, this yeah, is not right. too long from like the Good Earth of literal yellow face. So the fact that they oh, like are right. like we will cast actual Asian people to be Japanese I mean... is a bigger step closer. I can't say that all of them are actually. Japanese, just Asian. Well, I mean, there, we're getting there closer. Be,
1: there will be yellow, yeah. There will be yellow face movies made after this one. Like, make right. no mistake. So, like, the well, back... not only that, but like as
0: as late as like nineteen eighty something, yeah. Jackie Chan was playing Japanese in Cannibal Run. Oh, yeah. Against his wishes, but
1: <laughs> uh, uh, things uh, like actually one of the um, little uh, stories that I. Ran across on Twitter recently was the the fact that um, the the actor who played uh, Short Round in uh, Temple of Doom and uh, Data in The Goonies, K. Hugh Quan, K. Quan. I'm terrible at pronunciation for, for Star of Everything Everywhere All at yeah, Once. Yeah, he's in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and and in the the one you know in the the sort of press just, like interviews leading up to the release of Everything Everywhere All at Once. One of the things he talked about was when he was a kid and he was in these like cool like touchstone movies, he wasn't playing like Asian stereotype movies. He was playing like a kid who's part of this group or a kid who was an orphan that Indiana Jones found and is kind of weird. And that like he quit acting because as he grew up, there be like the amount the kinds of roles he could get narrowed. And and it's just it's nice that this guy who like left acting just disillusioned after it having been this huge part of his childhood is back in a movie that everyone loves.
0: And speaking of, about everything, everywhere all at once, James Hong, who's in the movie, is one of the voices in the American Godzilla. Yeah, episode. he is,
1: because James Hong is in everything. Everywhere. Oh, and he, in
0: fact, in a lot of scenes, he's arguing with himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is.
0: <laughs> oh. uh, him and us, he had a partner, a comedy duo partner, Sammy Tong. Oh, God. That's why right, He was part of a comedy duo. God dang Love James Hong. He's,
1: <laughs> he's so good. I'll, yeah, he's, he's so. Well,
0: we're nearing the end of this
1: tale. Uh, anyone have any final thoughts? Yeah, watch watch both of these movies, but don't watch them right at one after the other because it's a disservice to Godzilla, comma King of the Monsters! Exclamation point! I think would be my takeaway.
2: Uh, okay Same. Also, uh, if you <laughs> awesome feel the urge, you should definitely go into your backyard and see if you can Godzilla scream.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> if you can, and, uh, uh,
1: consult your doctor if it lasts for more than four hours.
0: I, I would also, like, I watched them back to back. It didn't ruin either one of them for me. I was also just more enamored with the fact that Godzilla King Lamontus exists at all. It's such a strange thing yeah. to me. And, it, by, and by and by, it is a sort of phenomenon in and of itself. Um, but that's all the time we have for now. Say goodbye, Thad and care. Care.
1: I'm not going to try to Godzilla scream.
2: <laughs> I hope not alright All right, goodbye everyone